today to the book of Ruth. We're actually going to be, you're going to be looking at it a lot, so I encourage you just to open it up. Ruth 1, uh, we're going to be in uh, the 6 through 22, so kind of a big, uh, a big piece of Ruth today, and uh, we're going to be reading that in just a minute. Can you remember the first time you encountered a character who scared you? I have two in mind, although I am sure, I'm unsure who was first because both of them were pretty potent in my life because, of course, I thought they were real. The first one is Captain Hook. I went to Disneyland when I was three and he came and was yelling at me about where Peter Pan was because Peter Pan had taken his hand and I was so terrified. And then, of course, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, who was so awful that I would run for cover every time she came on the television, which was like all the time it felt like. But this week I've been thinking a little bit about villains because of our subject matter today. Do you know what most villains have in common from the stories we read? Besides wreaking havoc and plotting evil to inflict the most damage? Yeah, they're bitter. Whatever their story is, they're cynical and they're angry and they're narcissistic and they're just plain mean. But at the core of who they are, there is bitterness about their lot in life, about not being recognized for their greatness about something they've lost or how they've been rejected. Life has not been fair to them in their eyes. And while there may be many reasons why they are the way they are, the truth is at some point they decided to stay that way and inflict their torment on everybody else. So what is glaring about them when you first meet them in books or on the screen is their bitterness That it just announces itself before they say a word. So let's think a little bit about bitterness. Bitterness is different than sadness. It's deeper than anger. Bitterness comes as a result of how we choose to respond to the tragedies in our lives. It's a human natural thing to be bitter. But somehow... It's a belief that we have been disregarded, that we have been targeted or disrespected for no good reason. But the truth is, bitterness is one of the things that is noticeable about anyone. It comes in many forms. Some people put their bitterness out there and project it for the whole world to see. Others keep it deep within, and we only get glimpses of it. And of course, in some heartbreaking examples, we see how it comes out in hate-filled acts or rants against certain groups to whom the bitterness is directed. We hear about this all the time and maybe even experience it firsthand. I was on an email loop in a family situation a few weeks ago, and somebody just went off. It was awful. It was so bad. Some mental health professionals see bitterness as a disorder in which fury and helplessness become part of someone's identity. For most of us, gratefully, bitterness is a season where we work through whatever hurt has caused it. So on our second week in the book of Ruth, we're going to notice that there's an intersection of bitterness and faith. 
where even as Naomi is reeling from this awful tragedy that has happened to her, there is a place of trust. And in that place of trust, God shows up so that new joy can begin to grow. Last week, just as a reminder, we began this book and we read about how a family moved from Bethlehem to Moab to escape famine. Although they were Jewish, they chose a culture that was pagan to live. While they're there, the husband dies. The sons both take wives. About 10 years later, both of the sons die. This is where we pick up the story with three widows alone. So Ruth 1, starting at verse 6. Then she, Naomi, the mother, started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with a with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The word of the Lord. In Naomi's life, we see both bitterness and faith. 
There are times she presents as angry, but we also see evidence of trust. So today we want to talk about both because in our lives, there are going to be moments and seasons and years where we hold both. We want to explore how even in our bitterness, there is a piece of us that still trusts in the Lord and hopes in him because it is how we have been created When we have practiced faith, it is where we turn, even if we're not quite sure what God is doing or where he is. Here we see Naomi trusting God through her resentment. And we see God providing in different ways so that she might know him more. So we're going to talk briefly about her bitterness, and we're going to talk about her faith, and then we're going to talk about where God is. So let's start with her bitterness. Naomi has lost three precious lives in her family, and she is openly expressing how this is for her. In verses 10 through 13, some of the bitterness comes out in the plight of her life when Orpah and Ruth say they want to stay with her. And she tells them no, because the opportunity, the young, li- the young years of her life has passed her by. She said she's too old to have a husband. That even if she could get married that night, she could not bear sons soon enough to provide husbands for them. She can't get back what she lost. She is too old to start again. Bitterness can be common in our lives as we get older. The regret that we have for the things that we've done. The regret that we have for the things that we didn't do. As we age, the losses and the disappointments can add up and take a toll on our emotional well-being. But we don't want to get stuck in what might have been. The fact is, we can't avoid getting old. And we can't avoid how it is or what is going to happen to us at the end of our lives. What we do have control over is our attitudes and how we perceive the regrets that we have. We want to pay attention to how much we look in the rearview mirror, lamenting about what is behind us, so wishing for those days back, and how much we keep our eyes on the road in front of us, trusting that God has something yet for us still. In verse 13, Naomi says how things have been more bitter for her than they have been for her daughters-in-law, because the hand of the Lord has turned against her. There is a sense here, an unhelpful sense of competition, of who has known the worst sorrow. But notice the deeper message. Naomi has searched for a reason for what has happened, and she has found one that God has caused it. That this is God's fault. This is common to all of us. When something terrible happens, something we don't want, we can feel deserted and stranded. We have this theology that God can do everything. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. So when he doesn't intervene, when things are terrible, our feelings so raw already can turn to bitterness quickly. But it's in Bethlehem that Naomi really lets it out. There's quite a stir when she comes and she says, yes, it is me, Naomi. Her given name means pleasant, but she tells them, call me Mara, because I am bitter. 
since the Lord has dealt harshly with me and brought calamity on me, and I've come home empty-handed. Naomi is blaming God. Have you done that in your life? Have you blamed God for what has happened that has been tragic or terrible? It's very natural. It's very normal. Why doesn't he intervene for me? Why doesn't he help? This is so hard. I've trusted him. I've loved him. The name she chose, Mara, reminds us of the bitter herbs of the Passover meal. When we do that ritual, we remember how life was harsh for the Israelites under the Egyptians. And in that ritual, we stop and we taste the bitter herb, the horseradish. And of course, whoever is leading the Seder meal encourages us to take a large portion of horseradish because it is a symbol of what the Israelites endured, the bitterness in their story. But it also reminds us of our story and the bitterness that we have. So we taste and our throat stings and our eyes water and we can barely breathe and we cough and we almost choke. And we remember, this is what bitterness does to us. It causes us to be incapacitated in some way, to be unable to do anything. But then the ritual has us do something interesting next. We put horseradish again on the matzah cracker, but on top we put harosa, a sweet mixture of apples and raisins and nuts. So Now we taste and we can feel the bitterness and we can taste it a bit, but the sweet has made it palatable. It has made it so that we can take it. Life is both. Hard things happen to us, but there is also a sweetness that God gives us to help us with those things that are hard to take. When Nelson Mandela was released from prison after 27 years in South Africa, this is what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that I would lead, uh, that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. See, Naomi's making a choice here, and I actually think that she's trying. She's trying to deal with her bitterness. Her rant means that she is trying to be free, and this is good news. God has made us to express our feelings. We read the Psalms, and we see such rawness there. God is not afraid of us pouring it out, of us telling him, Lord, where were you? Why didn't you help? It's part of the process of healing. It's part of moving on. She's still showing a belief in God. He is real to her, even in her struggle. Now let's look quickly at her faith in this passage. We find it first in verse 6, when she decides to go back to Bethlehem. And we're reminded of words from Psalm 132, where God is speaking about Israel. And he says, I will abundantly bless its provisions. I will satisfy its poor with bread. Is it interesting to you that she is in a bitter place? She's in a hard place, but she believes that the Lord has changed something in Bethlehem. So she's going to stake her life and go and trust that the famine is done and that somehow she also is going to be provided for. She knows that Yahweh is the God of provision who cares for his people. 
and she believes this report, we show our faith in how we act. She and her daughters-in-law head out of town, and somewhere along the way, she stops. She can't go on another, another step and says, you know, you need to go home. I feel like she's trying to care for them. Notice that she doesn't say what would be normal, which is go back to your father's house. She says, go back to your mother's house. This mother's heart is aching. There's an empathy here. She knows that their mothers are home without these daughters. So she tells them, go home, go and be with your mothers again. In verse 8 and 9, we see something extraordinary. Naomi prays a blessing over them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. I love this prayer because in the middle of her bitterness, she is praying because she knows God. She knows he's going to help. She knows that even though these women are not from Judah, that he cares for the stranger. She knows that he cares about them. This is a big deal. She's praying God's kindness over them and affirming the kindness that she has received from them We also see the faith of Naomi in Ruth's decision to stay. In the beautiful words from 16 and 17, this book is heavy on dialogue. I encourage you to go through and really glean some beautiful images and truth from these words. But Ruth is committing to give up her life to follow her husband's mother. Here she is offering her own sacrifice. She calls God by name. She calls him Yahweh, and she invokes his blessing on their joined life together. Now remember, Ruth is from a pagan culture. Where has she learned this language? Where has she learned this kind of love? From Naomi's family, who have served as witnesses of how God acts, who he is, what faith in him looks like. She states her intention to stay with Naomi, and we hear an echo of the kinds of followers that Jesus seeks, who gives up everything to go and to follow someone else. Despite Naomi's bitterness, there is something in her that Ruth clings to. I think this is a turning point for these women. Because what helps us out of our bitterness is knowing that we are loved. When we stop and we think about the bitterness that we have had in our lives, those seasons and those times that we just couldn't shake it, bitterness is like depression. It comes kind of unbidden. It comes unwanted. We don't necessarily know when it's going to show up. And in those times of bitterness... It seems to me that there's something about us that feels so unloved and so uncared for. And here, these women are committing to be family, a different kind of family. That they're going to care for one another, they're going to love one another, that the love of God is also going to go before them. This is a really beautiful moment. It is God who is helping Naomi to hold on to the truth that she knows. He is all over this passage. 
He is the one who is providing provision in Judah. He is inspiring the prayer of blessing. He's underneath the love and the sacrifice she offers to her daughters-in-law. He is the one who helps Naomi to think of them first. It is his life that Ruth is holding on to. She has caught what covenant love looks like because of the Lord's faithfulness to them. Naomi calls God Shaddai the Almighty One. We end the chapter on a low note. As she is talking to the people of Bethlehem, she goes back to her bitter self, blaming God for what it is that she has endured. What's striking to me is that Ruth has just offered to her these beautiful, this beautiful thing. I'm going to I'm going to go with you, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your God will be my God. And they get to Bethlehem, and Naomi doesn't even introduce her. (laughs) Here's Ruth the Moabite. I mean, the, the narrator told us that, but there's no introduction at all. So this is a little bit of a low moment, right, that we have all of this love, and now we're back to the bitterness, because that is who we are as humans. That's how we roll sometimes. Did any of you see the Lego Batman movie? As you can imagine, it is a very refined film. (laughs) In it, the Joker really, really wants Batman's attention. He knows that Batman is going to show up whenever he threatens the city. And whenever Batman comes, he'll say something like this. We're a duo, aren't we, Batman? It's you and it's me and we're it together. We're a thing. And Batman, hardly looking at him, will just shut him down. We're not a thing. I work alone. And Joker, just wanting so much attention, then just gets even more mad. (laughs) And more vengeful and goes and does something bigger. Trying to prove to Batman that really, really, he needs him. And then we remember, ah, it's not just the villains who are bitter. We can be doing the greatest thing all over our city, all over our community, and be incredibly angry and shut down and spiteful, not open to any kind of love. I was thinking about some of the bitterness that I have experienced in my life. I was thinking about one time in particular that was very, very hard, and I kept trying to shake it. And I was so, so mad, and I was so hurt and so angry, and I realized that in this thing that I was so angry about, it really was because I didn't feel loved. It really was because what this person did just felt so betraying and so difficult. And once I understood that, and I understood that God's love was available to me no matter what, no matter if I didn't get the thing that I wanted or really thought that I should have had and whatever, that God really began to do a work in me and I began to see him in a new way. So this morning, I really ask that you think about the bitterness that you have come in here with because all of us have it. We can't escape it. It's part of living in a broken world. But we have to acknowledge it, and we have to speak it, and we have to say it so that God can begin to root it out of our hearts and minds so that he can bring real healing. So this morning, I just encourage you to go before the Lord and to cry out to him for his mercy and loving kindness and begin to let go of some of that bitterness 
that you carry with you. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.